Welcome to Unity of Tucson. We'd like you to imagine a scenario for a moment. And I will give credit to the person who presented this scenario to the, for the first time to me, a person named Kenneth C. Davis. He's an author. He offered this scenario in something I read once. He said, imagine 13 men arrive at JFK Airport off of a flight from Damascus. These men are unshaven. Their clothing is perhaps a little ripe. They wear tunics and sandals. They don't carry any luggage. They have only walking sticks and a small sack holding another tunic. As they move through and try to clear customs, there is suspicion among the immigration officers who stand nearby, and they have their guns at the ready. The authorities are convinced they have terrorists in hand. And so, seemingly routine questions are asked, but the answers are unexpected. These men carry no passports. They recognize no governments. They have no money to declare. God, they say, takes care of their needs. They have come to America to teach the truth. And although they face detention, one of them requests political asylum and an immigration hearing, but demands that this immigration hearing be in Washington, D.C., in front of the president. What might happen, do you think, if Jesus and his disciples flew into a modern airport today. (laughs) Now, this is a scenario that may seem extreme, but this is the type of thing that was being being experienced by Jesus and and his disciples at the time of his life. They were up against an oppressive government structure. They were looked at as outsiders. They were not welcomed. Now, I talked last week about being welcomed into the city of Jerusalem, yes, because they saw the people that were welcoming them in, saw them as the liberators from the oppression of the government. If they were here today, there's a little part of me that thinks they would be faced with a very similar experience. The story, though, of Easter speaks to a lesson of Jesus. And that lesson is this. Do not be swayed ever from spiritual truth. Even in the seeming challenges of the world and the circumstances all around, do not be swayed from spiritual truth. Now, Are the stories of the New Testament literal? I sometimes ask myself that question. You know, there's no other mention of Jesus in any any other historical documents. So there's a question among biblical scholars around whether the stories are literal. And here's the thing. 
whether yes or no doesn't actually matter because what matters is what we might learn from the stories. At the time, all the stories really were about metaphor and metaphysical teaching and the way that we can allow an opening to our deeper understanding of self. That's what it was all about. So the story of Easter, and specifically the crucifixion, represents the revelation of the missteps that we easily take to destroy those who preach love and forgiveness. I'm going to say that again. The story of Easter, and specifically the crucifixion, represents the revelation of the missteps we can easily take to destroy those who preach love and forgiveness. Every single week, I exclaim the mission of this church is love only, forgive everything, and remember who you are. How are we living that in our everyday lives? And do we ever shy away from that spiritual truth because it is uncomfortable when we leave these four walls? Our work then is to open ourselves to the principle, the inner meaning of Easter. Charles Fillmore wrote this, Easter's inner meaning and spiritual significance is the awakening and raising to spiritual consciousness the I am in humanity, which has been buried in a tomb of materiality. That's the story of Easter, to rise above the level of circumstance, to know so deeply the truth of who we are that we do not fear when we walk through these doors out into the world and have the experience of being love only. There's no need to fear if you are rooted and grounded in spiritual truth. We are rediscovering our power in every single moment, and that is the promise of Easter. We are not creating that power. We are discovering that which is inherent right here. It is in each and every one of us. Here comes that Southern Baptist preacher. <laughs> I la if you weren't here last week, that will make no sense to you, but sometimes I get very excited, especially when I'm talking about the power, the infinite power, that power that is part of us. It always has been. And our rediscovery of that is the awakening to having forgotten that power. And let me tell you, it is easy to forget that power, isn't it? I f you know what? I'm supposed to be up here as the minister. <laughs> Somebody who has studied this stuff to such a degree that I have embodied it in my life so deeply that I should never be swayed off of my understanding of who I am. And you know what? I'm going to let you all off the hook because I still forget it's okay to forget. What happens, though, is it's stories like Easter, and it is the metaphor of stories like Easter that allow us to get right back up and to let the gap between when we fall and when we rise narrow. And eventually what we find as we work this in a practical way, we don't fall quite as often and we rise more often. So this power is part of us. And absent this awareness, we cannot direct this power purposefully. That is what it is to raise to spiritual consciousness the I am. The I am 
You know a word that means I am? Ego. Oh, I see, I knew I was going to get a reaction like that. Oh. But I'm going to let you also know, some, know something new about the ego. The true ego is not edging God out. Here I am with my, right? The true ego is not edging God out. It is entertaining God only. When we rise our spiritual consciousness and we, and we associate that ego space, that ego sense with the truth of who we are, then we are entertaining God only in everything. The power is not out there. It is the animating life force in each and every one of us. Salvation, ooh, that's also a challenging word for people. Salvation, right? Salvation is this path of discovery. For what do we have to be saved from except our own error thinking, thinking that we are less than? We are not less than. The difference between me being a Southern Baptist preacher is that you will never hear me preaching hellfire and damnation, ever. In fact, if I were to go out on a street corner, I would go out there if, if this was part of my path, which it's not. <laughs> but if I were to go out on a street corner, you would hear me going out there and saying, you are not a sinner. You are the infinite power and presence of a divine that is so magnificent that it can only, only express as you. This is what Jesus was teaching. And this is why the powers that be feared him and put him to death, crucified him. And in the resurrection, it was a promise of that clear blue morning for each and every one of us. That's the metaphor. The Old Testament, you know, if we talk about metaphor, the Old Testament, in many ways, the breadth of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, is about forgetting who we are. It starts in the Garden of Eden, right? She eats the fruit from the tree of knowledge, becomes aware and forgets the truth of being and starts to associate the self with the circumstantial world. That's the Old Testament. The New Testament is the promise and the opening up to the remembering of who we are. Metaphysical interpretation of Scripture means the story is about you, not about the characters. It's about you. All the players, all the characters, every single aspect of the story represent aspects of you and your life. That's the power of Scripture. So like the story, like the stone on the tomb that had to be rolled away, that stone, the limitation of our understanding, our work is to roll away the stone of our own limited thinking. Now the codification of scripture perhaps wasn't, didn't play out in a way that was perhaps suitable for deepening into this understanding. Codifying scripture in the Christian sense was about control. And there's a lot that got left out and a lot that's been subsequently discovered. In 1945, there were some scrolls that were discovered in Egypt, the Nag Hammadi texts. These were Gnostic texts. 
Gnostic meaning wisdom. And among these is a text called the Second Apocalypse of James. This is from the second century. And in the text is this. When you perceive those things outside of you as the same as those things within you, then you will enter the kingdom of heaven. When you perceive those things outside of you as the same as those things within you, then you will enter the kingdom of heaven. There is a call to each and every one of us to release the notion that that is separate from this. It is an action to release dualism because it is in this sense of separation that we experience discord. The whole notion of discord can only come from thinking there is something separate. For when we know who we are, when we understand and embody true unity, get it? When we embody true unity, then we are freed from bondage. And there are correlations in other traditions as well. In Buddhism, in the Sutra of 42 sections, it is written, it is impossible to follow the way if you believe in dualism. In the Tao, it is written, the way can never be compared to a raging river that rushes to the sea. No, the way can never, did I say can never? That's not right. See, I mess up sometimes. The way can be compared to a raging river that rushes to the sea. There is no separation. There is no difference between the core identity of that river and the sea itself. In the Bhagavad Gita, it is written, those who seek union with the way no longer live in delusion. Therefore, leave delusion behind and become one with the one. We see these same messages throughout faith traditions and spiritual paths. One of my favorites is deepening into the understanding of the way that Rumi, the mystic Sufi poet, offered. You are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. That's what Jesus was here to teach. That's what he was here to teach. At their core, all paths have common ideas. That's why that ceremony is an important part of the way that I express my path in this thing called ministry. Because I believe it is important that we understand and acknowledge and love the way in which we find connection and commonality rather than to keep putting our minds on the ways in which we find separation. Because separation only creates discord. So at their core, all these paths have this idea, rebirth, renewal, reawakening, renaissance, resurrection, in some way, you find it everywhere. There are common themes of freedom from bondage. So let us allow Easter to be a reminder that we are not bound by the limitations of form. We are, each and every one of us, something greater than the limitations we not only perceive but have accepted. We've accepted these limitations 
And as soon as we decide that they do not need to be our truth, and we release them, we shed them, and we rise into a greater expression. The expression is the truth of our being. We can break free of the bondage of limited and destructive thinking at any time, and it does not require a savior. Let us begin today to accept ourselves as our own saviors by taking charge of those destructive thoughts. Anyone not have destructive thoughts? Let us take charge of those destructive thoughts and release any sense of limitation. The true resurrection is the releasing of belief that we are separate. That's what it's all about. Resurrection is remembering who we are. And this is what my entire ministry is about. When I became a minister, what year is this, 2022? I can't do math anymore. (laughs) More than a decade ago, when I first became a minister, it was more than a decade ago, I scribed this as my global intention in ministry. My global intention in ministry is to eliminate the perceived gap between the human and the divine. That's my intention in ministry. And so every Easter is a way that I can remember that that is the intention, to let go of the notion that there is any separation. I got asked uh, last week about why I spend so much time in prayer on the identification of myself and all people as God. And it's because if I truly get that, if we truly get it, then everything we require automatically unfolds for us. There is no need to create. There's more a need to be rather than to do. So I choose to work daily to eliminate the gap between the human and the divine, and it is a gap of perception. And I'm not here to narrow the gap. I'm here to eliminate the gap so that we can all stand up proudly and with the utmost understanding that in this statement, we are not saying we are greater than, we are saying we are truly equal to, we can each and every one of us stand up and say, I know who I am. I am God, because that's what Jesus taught. Jesus taught the Father and I are one, and he was not limiting it to himself. He was saying the Father and I, the I that is all humanity, we are one. If there were a collective awakening to our shared divinity, 13 men from Damascus in an airport in our contemporary society would not be met with fear. They couldn't be met with fear because as we gazed upon the face of God in each and every one of them, What is there to fear? What is there to fear? And the truth that they came to teach is an awakening to the Christ consciousness. That's what Jesus was here to teach. Our work then is to deepen into these principles that are expressed in myriad ways in all religions, in all faith traditions. Today, in particular, is about the manner in which they were expressed by Jesus. Fundamentally, he taught this. 
The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a state of mind. Heaven is a state of mind. It is at hand. It is within each and every one of us to live in heaven right now. What will you decide to do today? The Father and I are one. I already talked about that. The divinity of each and every one of us. And the law of mind action, the law of cause and effect, it is done unto you as you believe. That's it. That's it. And these ideas, Jesus never claimed that these ideas were exclusive to him. He was allowing the infinite spiritual truth to shine forth in who he was, not just what he said. So today, remember who you are. You are the light of the world. You are the light of a clear blue morning. So let it shine. Peace and blessings to you. You are magnificent. Hi, this is Reverend Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.